0: It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly pop edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor, along with Rick Roaring. We look at sports topics locally, nationally. My favorite subjects that come up at the end of this podcast, the Ask Skinny Anything questions. We always have good ones. I'm guessing we do again. Um, and as always, we continue to do this from safe social distancing. However, Rick, I've got to admit this, and I'm sorry to admit it to you. I'm currently not wearing a mask.
1: Yeah, no, I'm not either. Um, but what what are you doing in terms of activities due to the social distancing? Do you find your because like you can't you know just go to the bar and have a few pops anymore on the weekends? There's not really a lot of get-togethers going on. What have you found yourself doing to take up the time? Well, any I, new I mean, activities. I, I,
0: Yeah, no, I'm in a golf league. So that helps. So every Tuesday I go to the golf league and afterwards we sit outside and, um, I wouldn't say we keep exactly safe. I I don't know if it'd be officially six feet, but you know, there's three people around one of those, you know, normal round tables and, and, uh, there's about five or six tables set up and you know, we drink beer and we occasionally flip from table to table. I don't feel unsafe doing it. Um, and then I usually pick up another round of golf a week. Um, I did get a chance to to go work out some of my basketball players at Beachwood um, Wednesday. I'm gonna to try to do that a couple of days a week moving forward. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I got enough to keep me busy. I got I got some some yard work on the weekends, and uh, and, and I love watching golf. So uh, man, you know the the tournaments that have gone on so far, I I start watching on Thursday, and I keep watching through Sunday.
1: I'm glad you brought up golf because uh, that's what I wanted to bring up. Because as you know, I'm not a golfer. I I had played in my past. Um, it got to a point where I was just tired of continuing to suck so badly at a sport that I was paying so much money to play. Um, and so now I'll play the occasional scrambler, whatever, um, you know, the, the golf outing uh, where I get, yep. I hit three good drives throughout the day and we use those. And that's my contribution of aside, aside from drinking beer. Um, but just this past week, I picked up a new hobby that I am super into now. Have you done disc golf, Skinny?
0: Uh, no, I know of disc golf. In fact, my, I think it was my brother-in-law was, uh, was big into disc golf for a while. Where, where did you go play? Do they still have the one out at Kenton County Golf Course? Uh,
1: so I didn't do that one. The, the park right by us is the Highland Hills Park where Highlands plays its baseball okay. games. So they've yep. got a little uh, crappy course that I played for the first time. I've played that now a couple times. Um, then I also went out to South Fork in Florence. I've only played uh, f- three or four times total. Um, But it gets
0: you out, though. I mean, that's the thing. So
1: here's the great thing. It's exactly like golf for me. I suck at it. I'm terrible. It's nothing but just trying to get better and figure it out. But at least I'm not spending $40 every time I go.
0: That's a good point. It's free. That's that's fair. So Uh, when I
1: get pissed off because I can't make a putt, at least I can just chuck a, a frisbee into the woods and, and just roll out for the day and i'm only out seven bucks for that frisbee or something you know
0: Yeah, i, I was gonna say have you lost frisbees yet you only to bring multiple frisbees okay only okay. one
1: yeah um but you know that's an issue too i'm i'm terrible at it i i don't know how well you throw a frisbee but i just feel like it's not an easy thing to do
0: uh I, I would not shame myself on a beach in the summertime but i wouldn't call myself a frisbee aficionado i'll give you that part
1: yeah it's it's just kind of unnatural although it looks super easy and then you see these little like skinny guys out there whipping it three hundred and fifty feet and I'm throwing my driver like two twenty
0: probably. I, well well I, I will say that, that, that I know it, it's it's that people probably are tired of it, but but I still love the frisbee dog halftime show that usually rolls into Paul Brown Stadium once a year. I oh. still love I don't know. But here's the thing
1: Paul Brown Stadium, not the venue for Frisbee Dogs. You need Frisbee Dogs inside a basketball arena. When you see them, no, those are
0: good too. Those those are good too. When you see it
1: courtside at like the CentOS Center, because CentOS brings them in every year, it is a fantastic show.
0: Yeah, the thing with the football field, though, is sometimes, man, they are sprinting a long way. Where you see it's thrown, you're like, there's no way he's going to catch that. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way. And they eventually catch up to it. You're like, holy cow.
1: That is true. It gives you, it gives you more appreciation for the overall speed on the football field. But the leaping, the little, the yes. little guy that does all the jumps, you need, you need to see him up close, like floor level.
0: Yeah, the guy that goes over the back of, of, the, yep. of the dudes, he flips exactly. multiple frisbees. I, I like that. I'm, I'm I think his you. name I'm Scout yeah it, it always is leaper. yeah yeah it always is
1: it always no, is. But,
0: but, but i'll give you credit at least you're trying to do something it beats just sitting inside and and getting uh getting drunk every night and and woe is me you just yeah. can't have woe is me well
1: man. so two things on that if anyone has tips for frothing because i know there's a huge community out there um I'm, I'm open my dms are open and also if you're trying to get rid of any discs i need some <laughs> practice so i need to fill up a bag uh if you want to <laughs> throw some used discs my way i'll be glad to buy them off you so.
0: are, are you th- are you throwing the official frisbee Oh, yeah. made from Whammo? Uh,
1: no, no, I've got all t- like I've already gone out and bought a bunch of different types. I'm experimenting with everything. I'm trying to trying to work on it a little bit. I'm gonna be an elite frisbee golf player by like this time in five years.
0: I believe, I say, because I think Frisbee's like Kleenex. I mean, there's tissues and then there's Kleenex and there's Frisbee. Oh, right, and there's it's discs. discs. I'm sorry, yes. I'm throwing yes. discs, not yes. frisbees. Yes, okay. So right. okay. I'm making yeah. sure of that. Okay. All you're right. absolutely All right about that. All
1: right, let's get into some Bengals talk. The Bengals and veteran wide receiver AJ Green could not come to a deal on a long term contract before Wednesday's 4 p.m. NFL mandated deadline, which means he will play the 2020 season under the one year franchise tag if he eventually signs it. Green will make around $18 million for the 2020 season under the tag, which comes from the average of the five highest-paid players at wide receiver. The two sides will now have to wait until after the 2020 season before they can try to negotiate a contract again. Skinny, what are the odds A.J. Green is a Bengal after the 2020 season at this point?
0: I would say not high, and, and and the reason I say that is um, they could franchise him again, um, but that's going to cost them twenty or twenty-two million dollars. That seems
1: unlikely to me. That I seems see extremely that
0: unlikely. Correct, because then then it, it puts a big number on your cap for next year. I mean, the reason for the long-term deal would be to spread some some cap dollars out. If you were to do it, if he plays exceptionally well, he might price himself out of a long-term contract with you, and if he plays poorly then do you really want to sign him anyway? I mean, I, I just – I think the franchise tag for them and for him, honestly, it's the best thing for both. I know it, AJ doesn't look at it that way, but I think it's the fairest uh, thing for, for both sides because, um, look, he's getting a one-year look-see, making a pretty good piece of change, a chance to prove himself. I mean, let's not forget Tyler Eifert, and granted, he's, his injury history is is more severe and more significant than AJ Green's. But his his deal was very incentive-laden for the first, you know, he did two one-year deals back-to-back back, um, heavy on in, in incentives and, and um, you know, and not making near what A.J. made. A.J.'s got a chance to do it on a prove-it contract and make a good piece of change doing it.
1: Yeah, I think you're right that there's just not a, a lot of options here. I think there's maybe one scenario in which he remains a Bengal long-term, and that's if... He plays well this year, and you're right. If he plays exceptionally well, then he's probably going to demand almost anything he wants, and at that point it's going to be tough for the Bengals to pay it. But if he plays well, maybe not the elite of the elite, but but really well and clearly looks more like the old A.J. Green prior to some of these injuries, and him and Joe Burrow just have this – relationship and dynamic between them that you feel like you just can't break up if, if you really yeah, that, feel, that's
0: a big that's a big part that's a big part of it I, I agree with that part you're right yeah on that.
1: And, and I mean it's it's more than just that right it's not in a vacuum but like if you have a year this year where I don't know let's say I mean it's tough to to predict how many games they're even going to play but let's say they play a full season and the Bengals are eight and eight which I think would be better than expected, to be honest. Um, not, not great by any means, but, but they're moving in the right right direction clearly, and you have Joe Burrow and A.J. Green have a really nice dynamic working between them, and they're, they're gaining some chemistry. I think that's the one scenario in which you see the Bengals, especially being a, a franchise that has spent in recent years on their own guys trying to retain their own talent, I could see them maybe splurging a little bit to keep, to keep AJ green in that scenario, but that's going to have to be kind of a all-stars aligning type deal right there.
0: Yeah. And, and let's face it, you drafted T Higgins for a reason. I mean, a to add to your weaponry, but as a potential down the road replacement for AJ green, you know, you could uh, obviously address wide receiver again next year and suddenly your wide receiver hotshot, whoever that is. And, and, and veteran Tyler Boyd, that's still a pretty good trio right there. So, um, uh, you know, I, again, I, I've, I've told you all along. I never thought the Bengals could come to a long-term deal with AJ. I don't think they should have come to a long-term deal. I think this is honestly a good use of the franchise tag to be Frank. Um, you know, you're, you, you have got a guy who's proven himself who probably in theory deserves 18 mil, you know, based on the market. I still think when healthy, we can agree. He's arguably one of the top 10 at minimum wide receivers in the league and yeah. maybe on the high end top five, that's probably reaching a little bit at his age. Um, so he's getting a little bit of a payday for past success and past performance. Um, and, and he also gets a chance to, to prove that he's healthy. And he's the A.J. Green of old. And he is a valuable piece to go with Joe Burrow. So I think it's a good use of the franchise tag for all. Well, there
1: were a ton of players that got franchise tagged this year, but one guy who has recently got a big contract was Tennessee Titans star running back, Derrick Henry. They reached a four year, $50 million agreement that includes $25.5 million guaranteed skinny. What do you think that means for Joe Mixon and the Bengals going forward?
0: I think it gives you a benchmark, and maybe it's a pie in the sky for me to think it is. Um, the The McCaffrey deal seemed like a little bit of a benchmark, but that was kind of a a really high-end benchmark. I, I mean, does this get you Joe at four years and 40 mil with 20 guaranteed, something along those lines? I I, I think I'd rate Derrick Henry higher. Not a ton higher, but I think I'd rate him higher. He's been in the league um, a little longer, um, probably proven himself a little more. I mean, we can argue that last year, and you can argue it, he was the MVP of the playoffs. Uh, I mean, obviously, they didn't get to the Super Bowl, but, I mean, the things he did in the playoffs to get Tennessee to the AFC Championship game were extraordinary. Um, So, yeah, the the only problem is, and I think you're seeing it with a lot of teams this offseason, just the uncertainty of finances in the league and teams moving forward makes it tough to come to a deal on long-term term extensions. Um, could the Bengals still do it? Yeah, but a lot of times for extensions, you want to get it done by training camp. And look, this may be pie in the sky, but if training camp opens on time, Rick, we're 13 days away from that taking place. I mean, could you get something done with Mixon in the next 13 days? Yeah, I mean, because now you have a benchmark for Derrick Henry. And, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe at the end of the day, this was the perfect thing for the Bengals to say, okay, we're, we're going to get you close. We're not going to get you Derrick Henry money, but we can get you close. And I think that's probably a good ballpark.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the McCaffrey deal. He signed for 4 years, 65 million with a little over, I think 30 of it was guaranteed in that deal. So excuse
0: me, Need that for them.
1: Uh you cut out there for a second. Will you say whatever that was again?
0: Yeah, it, for for those guys it's it's basically you're trying to get them about half of that contract guaranteed. Derek Henry's literally right at half. You mentioned McCaffrey, he's almost at half. I said Joe 4 years, 40 mil, 20 guaranteed. That's half uh maybe a little less than 40 i don't you know I, again it depends on how the sides come come down to it but that seems like a fair market value for joe mixon
1: i i really like what joe mixon brings to the table he's been great since he's been in cincinnati and i think he's the type of guy that just loves football right you know i think he was born to do this uh he wants the ball as much as possible he, he's going to keep playing he's going to be durable but i just don't see the logic in signing running backs to these big contracts. It's been proven time and time again that it just doesn't work out. The, the, the tread on the tires becomes too much at some point, and these guys become just worn down, it seems like, and, and right, they, they but, are totally disposable.
0: But right, but hear me out on this. If you do, Joe, four years and 40, and usually where those contracts are front-loaded because you're getting the guarantees and then you amortize it out over the four years – um, if you got three good years of Joe Mixon out of that, I think I'd take that and sign up for it right now. And let's face this fact. Who do the Bengals really have behind Joe Mixon in the pipeline? Usually teams that are ready to move on from running backs. And almost every team, it feels like, has you know two or three running backs. And it's usually a running back by committee. And there's usually the main guy. You're not turning back to Giovanni Bernard after this year. I mean, you're just not. Uh, no, so I agree gotta, with it's that. Just not Rodney Anderson's got that bad knee. So where do you go at running back? And I, I just think but does it
1: bother, but does it bother you to just throw a rookie back there at this point? Like, I mean, to me, it seems like the one position where you just want the youngest, most athletic guy. You don't really care if he knows the system or whatever. Cause for the most part, he's just taking taking the handle. I mean, you need him to block a little bit, and that's a learning curve. But uh, in terms of the running ability, it seems like these guys are ready to go as soon as they get to the league.
0: I, I don't I don't discount that, Rick. But I, and I'm I'm with you, and I've said it before in this podcast. I've written it before that for me, I don't usually pay running backs, and I've even talked about it. Joe Mixon to me is just one of those exceptions to the rule. I think anytime you talk in hard terms, you got to have some flexibility. And for me, the flexibility is. They haven't overused Joe Mixon. I think he he has proven his love of the game, the way he played in the 2-14 season. I think it just gives them another weapon for a young quarterback moving forward. Because I'll be honest with you, Rick, if there's there's no preseason games, as we may be trending towards and very limited 11-on-11 practice, this early part of 2020 for Joe Burrow has a chance to be a disaster. I mean, if you're talking about throwing a kid in with no real live reps and the first game is live fire – Holy cow. It, it, I mean, you're going to talk about 8 to 10 to 12 weeks, maybe a full season to get this guy ready, which means next year I still need a Joe Mixon back there for that kid. And so I, I, I think I'm going to pay Joe. I'm not going to overpay. Don't get me wrong, Rick. There's certain guys we've talked about you got to overpay. Bengals overpaid for DJ Reader. I'm still not sure it's the right thing to do. That was their decision. They felt like that was going to be a big point for them to do on, on their club. And so they they did it. I think for Joe, am I going to overpay? No, but am I going to pay what I feel is somewhat fair market value? Yeah, I think I am.
1: That makes sense. And one of the other things, I mean, I think you, you have to look at again from an overall perspective is it is putting your, your young quarterback, it would be second-year quarterback by by the following season, in a tough spot if you're getting rid of A.J. Green and Joe Mixon in the same year. I mean, you're really depleting right. your weapons all of a sudden. So yeah, um, no, that's right. I mean, that, that does make a lot of sense to me as well. All right, let's switch gears here. It feels like we're playing a constant game of will they or won't they play across all sports over the last few months. But most recently, that focus has shifted to college football. On Monday, Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports posted a story entitled Time to Face Reality, No One is Playing College Football in the Fall. In it, he cited multiple high-ranking sources at various Power 5 institutions and television networks. And on Wednesday, Urban Meyer said on Fox News that he's confident there will be a season. Quote, two weeks ago, yes. Last week, medium. I'm back to yes, Meyer said. We're going to play. I've got so much confidence in the way these universities are handling this right now. Skinny, who should we believe at this point? Yahoo Sports, Pete Thamel, Pat Forty, or Urban
0: Meyer? None of them, because none of them have an idea. And that's not a knock. Pete Thamble's a columnist, and he's got an opinion out there. And i he's pretty well-sourced, and I guarantee he's talked to a bunch of coaches and ADs. Urban is coming to it from the coaching perspective, and I'm sure he's talked to coaches, and, and I get that. And, and Pat's a great columnist, too, and I respect Pat uh, for his work. But anybody that tells you anything with any degree of certainty is is full of it, because they don't know. You don't know. Um you know, this thing changes by the day. It literally feels like it does. And so until I see it either way, I I don't believe it. And I think you saw the sec, they kind of kicked the can down the road a little bit saying we're going to wait till late July and maybe late July comes and we're in a great place. And the sec waiting says we're going on with our full schedule, not just conference only. We're going to do the whole thing. And some of these other leagues are going to go crap. Did we, did we jump the gun too early on this? And the flip side might be the SEC comes back and says, you know what? Not only are we not going to have conference, this thing's trending so bad, we ain't having anything. So anybody that tells you anything today, it's a guess. And, and I think anything otherwise is silly. That's why I, I'm at the stage of not getting too high or too low with it anymore. I'm just riding it out. And, and what happens from day to day, week to week, I just adjust it accordingly, to be honest with
1: you. Over the years, it's kind of become understood that if Pete Thamel is – knocking on your door and or at your university and asking questions or Dan Wetzel's there, you're in trouble because they, (laughs) those guys don't miss, right? They're, they're well-sourced, they're well-connected. And they're usually the guys that kind of drop the bombs um, on the college sports scene, particularly college football. At the same time, Pete D'Amel is one of the most pessimistic people I think I know like, or that I follow in terms of media. Uh, I listened to the podcast that he, Pat Forty and Dan Wetzel did where They're saying no chance football was going to be played. They're citing sources, um, you know, athletic directors that are telling them there's just no path there. There's no plan in place. Everyone's just saying kind of keep waiting, keep waiting. And and hopefully everything just clears up and falls into place. But then yet on Wednesday, Pat 40 publishes a story for SI.com quoting all types of high ranking SEC sources with detailed info on their plan to restart. So, I I think you're exactly right, Skinny. I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen. And I still go back to the fact that this is America and there are billions of dollars on the line for everyone. So while, you know, while it may not be the right thing, it may not be the moral thing to do. And I completely understand the colleges have a major PR issue on their hands when they don't pay the players. They've done everything they can over the years to ensure that these are student athletes and amateurs. It's tough to not, then then force them into a situation where you're putting them at risk. That is a PR nightmare. And so I understand why the colleges are are worried about that especially in today's social media climate where there, where there'll be a lot of backlash. But I still think the money is so great that at least the Power Five schools, you know, the, the SEC schools, one of the things that Pat Forty talked about in his uh, article that he wrote on Wednesday was that they, they're talking about an eight-and-two model where they would play their eight conference games and then have two rivalry-type games with, like, you know, the SEC has a lot of ACC rivalries, uh, Kentucky and Louisville, for example. Right, right, which um, makes a local sense. Right. And, and you would still play that. And, and so you're basically eliminating a couple of buy games where you're going to play a, a team from the Mac or wherever, a million dollars to come in and, and you'd beat their brains in. You can't do that because there are going to be no fans in the stands to make that money to pay them. But you're still going to play all the big TV games. And from what I understand, the, the goal here now seems to be much less about how do we figure out the playoffs and how do we figure out competitive advantages and and making everything on an even playing field versus we just need to get as many premium dates on the schedule for the TV people. We need to put a product on TV so we can make our money and TV can show something and they have their inventory. And that's what it seems like the big goal is. And that's what I've said all along, what it would come down to. They will find a way to get the TV money. I still believe that. Now I think college football is facing the the hardest climb it's it's going to be really touch and go the whole way but as far as everything else the nfl the nba the mlb um and and even college basketball when we get there i think all of those sports are going to end up happening
0: yeah it was interesting and, and i'm not a big auto racing fan i don't think you are either rick but i mean i guess i was taken aback i didn't realize what they tried to what they did at bristol on wednesday when they put 20,000 fans in the stands. Now that seats 100,000 plus and they're able to socially distance. But think about that for a second. If, if that experiment works, if we come, come back in two weeks, three weeks a month and there's no real spike from that, maybe you go, okay, th- you know what? We can do this if we all are safe. I'd look like a chunk of people wore masks. I'm not gonna get into the politicization of what masks do or don't do because I'm not a doctor. Um, I'm just gonna do what they ask me if I go to the grocery or or go into a setting, I'll wear a mask. If I have to wear a mask, I'll do those kind of things. But that was an interesting experiment to me. I mean, I, I just didn't know they were doing that. I knew they were having that all-star race. I really didn't care about it. But then right. to see the fans, it's like, okay, that was quite interesting. What if this works? Well, look, they um, tested it on know, the right group of I, I think so. – well, that's a good point. I mean, and those P- – <laughs> I mean, but let's face it. Yeah, there's a lot of states in the South, which is SEC country and ACC country, that honestly, they don't care. They, they want to go out and do their thing. They don't care. Okay, Without a doubt. Turn them loose. Turn them loose.
1: Well, I think that's kind of uh, what they're worried about, you know, is the fact that you kind of have to protect these people from themselves and protect the rest of the, the, their neighbors and their, the people that they work with and everything from them as well because these people will show up 200,000 strong for tailgates before an SEC game regardless of whether you're letting them inside the stadium. So, it is – there are a lot of problems to be sorted out. Again, I just think money. Like, it comes down to money in our country, and it always will. And if there's this much money on the line, man, I just – think they'll find a way to get something done. Now, maybe it's not a full season. I, I do look at the, the college football playoff as a nightmare scenario. I don't know how they can make that work unless something significantly changes with the virus by that point. You know, it, it's really you um, know. taking a nosedive or we've come up with some type of vaccine that's being effective or whatever.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I I, I actually think they can expand the college football playoff and may, may just do so to make it a, a make even more money. Um, what I, did you play
1: it at, at the home home sites? Uh, potentially.
0: Um, potentially. You just you can't know,
1: maybe, like send everyone to Indy, right? I mean, you no, can't
0: maybe maybe each conference champion um uh, uh hosts a team that was a runner. I you know again, there's logistical way to, ways to do it. I mean, I've always said that this playoff should be eight teams anyway um the the five conference champs and then the three runner-ups or or three at-large teams um but yeah for the conference championship games themselves I mean you know if Alabama wins the west and uh Georgia wins the east maybe it's a coin flip for who gets home field or maybe if Alabama went undefeated in its league games and Georgia lost a game the team with the better league record gets to host um again let's just it's not a perfect world it's not going to be but I'll tell you what's what what can't happen is not playing. I think you go ahead and you, you do. I think you go ahead and play, but I think anybody that tells you right now they have an answer either way for what's going to happen has no clue. They're just throwing darts into the wind.
1: On, on the basketball side of things in college athletics, there's been some, some talk. Um, someone recently suggested that they expand the NCAA tournament for just this year to, yeah. to see how that works and to make it more fair because you're not going to have non-conference games. It's basically just going to be the eye test between conferences if everybody is only playing conference games um what do you think about going to 96 just for this year for the NCAA tournament
0: yeah I guess it doesn't do much for me I I mean I think it's watered down enough as it is I get your point I get the point for those that are doing it because it is kind of hard that's the one nice part about November and December right you get a chance to have a a handful I sometimes wish there were more but at least you get a handful of of Uh, decent non-conference games and even some cases where you get a Xavier Missouri right to kind of sort out the mid-pack of that uh, works out and um, you know maybe you can't do that in a perfect way this year but I I don't I don't know if adding to it's the answer see I
1: think because there's always going to be so much talk around this topic anyways they've been discussing making it bigger forever this would seem like the year to try it because they, you know, it, it's real easy to go back next year and just say, well, we had to do it for coronavirus. Um, if you want to see what the potential of expanding the tournament would look like, then I think this is the year to try that. If you don't really have much interest in doing that going forward, which I would find hard to believe because I'm sure there's more money in it, I don't think it's necessarily a better scenario. And in most years, I would think it, it would water down the tournament, which we don't need. But at the same time, I, I just... I think this year is is the year that you can get away with trying it out. So I I would be okay with it, but I don't necessarily need to see it either.
0: Yeah, the question would be, I mean, you're adding probably another week to the NCAA tournament if you do it. Does that maybe preclude conference tournaments from taking place or maybe conference tournaments if if they don't want to bring – Every team to a to a single city, just for fear of uh, it not you know COVID not being completely eradicated at that point. Because again, we still don't know. I mean, maybe you, maybe you do that if if you're not going to have conference tournaments. But yeah, I I'm indifferent on it to be honest with you. If they did it, it wouldn't I wouldn't you know, stomp my foot and go, I'm not going to watch. Cause of course I'll watch. It just, I just don't know if that's the complete answer, but yeah, if the, I guess Rick, it, to your point, if, if there ever there was a year you were going to try it or a season, you're going to try it, it would be this one. And then that gives the ammunition moving forward that, Hey, this wasn't so bad after all. And we still had some good teams in the tournament and boy, some of those early games were really good. Really didn't hurt anything. Let's continue to do it. Cause we look what, hang on. We made more money doing it. So um, yeah, I mean, if ever there was a test run for a lot of things in sports, I guess this is the season to do it.
1: Right. All right, Skinny, from basketball to baseball, the Reds are just eight days away from starting their 60-game season as they'll take on the Tigers to open things up next Friday on July 24th at 6.10 p.m. The Reds have been playing inter-squad scrimmages, which have been streamed on Reds.com for the last few weeks to gear up for the season. Give me a takeaway from this mini spring training session for
0: the Reds. I think it's the fact that you haven't had – uh, other than Derek Dietrich, which we kind of knew about when he wasn't on that initial roster, right? And, right, and testing positive. Other than that, you haven't had any issues there. You've had a little bit of an elbow issue with Nick Senzel, but I think it was literally David Bell said if he if he had to play, if it was the season, he would have missed a game. Um, I think it's the fact that they've been pretty healthy through this, right, and the fact you've had nobody opt out, and the team that you were hoping they would put on, on the field back in April actually is probably better because I'm not sure you would have had you no scores at that point oh, right yeah. i think for i think for me that's the takeaway is you got a pretty healthy club that healthy on paper has just be pretty darn good
1: i'm with you on that i mean that is when you look at this thing there were so many expectations and so much hope put on this reds team coming into the year and then when the year just basically doesn't happen for what three months a lot of that dissipates you know you're like well what's going to happen now and under these weird circumstances and everything but now that it's all shaping up and they've got the easier schedule, they're not going to be traveling as much. All of these things are kind of coming together. And it's like, you're right. You look at the team they're putting out there every day. Everyone's healthy. Uh, they, they look good for the most part. This is kind of looking like the the scenario everyone was hoping it would be coming into the season. It's still here. So I think there's a lot of anticipation and and hope right now for Reds fans, and, and rightfully so. Uh, for me, I'm a bit of a loser, and uh, there were two different days where the, the inter squad scrimmages were streaming, and I didn't have a lot going on. I was just doing some some work for my Xavier site. So I turned around. Wait on a minute, the- you, could,
0: you, you, you didn't go play flip or uh, disc golf?
1: Well, you know, by that point, I hadn't started. Otherwise, I might have been doing exactly gotcha. that. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, gotcha. But I had so the, the basketball tournament up on the, the TV screen, I had the Reds. On one of my computer screens, I was doing work on my other computer screen. It was a nice little afternoon. Did it twice, two different days. I have a little bit more specific. There are two things that kind of stuck out to me after watching all the scrimmages. And, and let's be honest, what can you really take from an inter-squad scrimmage? There's not a lot. But I'm all, I'm all aboard the Shogo Akiyama train. Love him. I'm so excited to watch him hit at the top of this lineup. I love his approach. I like the, sort of just the look of his swing. That he doesn't exactly have the each row running out of the box thing, but it's still sort of a uh, he, he's he's very quick out of the box and kind of has a, uh, um, a long stride to him. I don't know; it's hard to explain, but it's a not. Cool
0: not yeah, I, I think that hitting style though is kind of an, an Asian hitting style, if you will. I mean, if you mm-hmm. watch the Korean baseball league, a lot of those guys hit that way, it's kind of it's actually kind of fun to watch because it's almost like, man, how do you how do you do that running towards the pitch to some degree and still hit it?
1: Yeah. And, and he, and he's a little less pronounced in terms of like the moving out of the box already, but he kind of has that, you know, they just sort of sway their hips move a little bit differently through the zone. And then he gets, he doesn't have a lot of power, but he kind of, I just like the way he kind of slaps the ball right through the middle past the second baseman, and he's, and he's off. I I love everything about the way he looks so far. My expectations are way too high, so I'm sure he's going to let me down. But right now. I'm on the Shogo Akiyama bandwagon. There's plenty of room aboard if you want to do it. I watched him at two doubles the first day I was watching the scrimmages, and I was like, all right, this is it. Love the guy. Um, perfect perfect leadoff guy, man. Perfect, perfect leadoff guy. Exactly. Uh, the other thing was I watched last year's first-round draft pick, Nick Lodolo, pitch. Um, really interesting to watch. I I think he has a long way to go still, but Skinny, from his arm slot, which is uh, not definitely not – over the top and not really a side armor either. He's kind of a three quarter guy in a weird angle there with his height and what looks to be really long arms. He has some weird looking pitches that come off his hand, like his slider going away from a lefty. I have no idea how you would hit it. I mean, it looks like it's halfway there before it's out of his hand. And then it has a really sharp late break on it.
0: Yeah, and that's the unfortunate part, although I guess he can hang around up at Petco and do some inter-squad stuff, right, when uh, when the other guys are playing. That's the disappointing part of no minor leagues is guys like that not getting a chance to pitch over the summer.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and then I guess the only kind of negative takeaway was the fact that, not that it matters because they're just getting working, but Trevor Bauer is getting knocked all about the park again. (laughs)
0: again (laughs) yeah and i that's to say for inter-squad games or even those early spring training games sometimes i just don't take anything at all away from them i just don't And you
1: really shouldn't but at the same time
0: i know it's disconcerting
1: yeah we just we just want to see trevor bauer look good and to see him just giving up bombs right away it's like oh man but but again he's working on stuff you know he's probably trying to throw a pitch in a certain location that and and guys are just teeing off on it so
0: um and he and he feels confident enough. He, he feels confident enough that he's talked about he wants to be part of a four-man rotation I don't think that's going to happen but he he's he's wanting it he wants to pitch every third every fourth day
1: yeah he says he he's built for that so we've talked about them doing some interesting things it doesn't sound like uh that's going to be the plan going in but they have some flexibility if they get into this thing and and someone goes down or or what have you I'm interested to see if they if they end up mixing it up with the starting rotation oh
0: i think i think they absolutely will I, I i do think that i you know you don't have a lot of off days as we talked about so you probably are wedded for the most part to a five-man rotation but i think in those short weeks where you do have an off day you know maybe you do skip d or you do skip miley depending on a on a on a matchup or maybe one of those guys is going bad and you skip whoever that guy is maybe d sclafani's pitching his his ass off and you're, you're certainly not going to skip him so i do think it gives you a lot of flexibility
1: all right skinny Let's switch gears to the NBA real quick before before we get into Ask Skinny Anything. The NBA bubble life is underway at the Disney World Complex in Orlando. The players and team personnel reported last week team workouts have started, and next week they'll begin to scrimmage each other. The season starts on July 30th, but I want to know what are your thoughts on the first week of NBA bubble stories that are coming out?
0: (laughs) I, I want to see how the snitch line works. I, it is. It's just, it's pretty good to me. Did you see Doc Rivers kidded about the, you know, calling, calling out LeBron on the snitch, snitch line? I mean, could you see that in a big game? One team just starts calling around going, Hey man, we've seen this guy. He's been out of the bubble. You better check him out or he needs to get quarantined get game seven of, of whatever that series is. And they actually take him seriously, which they're not going to. I do like the idea. I know a lot of people have joked about it. I do like the idea of the snitch line. I mean, Look, you guys are all in this together, and all it's going to take is one, two, or three guys to take the whole thing down, or at least maybe even take a whole team down. And I think it's helpful. Again, it's it's not a perfect thing, and I know people people probably think somebody's going to rat people out in a bad way. I honestly think it's a good thing. I, I do. I know you're going to laugh at that and think well, I'm I'm an old man saying that. But again, if you're all in this together, I, I'm sorry. I, you know, I can't. We've already seen one guy doesn't even, he didn't even know he was supposed to be quarantined, and I, he could be a liar. But I mean. He had to go get food and and didn't know that those, I mean, are you, you can't be that stupid, can you?
1: Well, uh, first of all, I mean, th- he can be that stupid. There, I uh, guess, yeah. We, okay. Have you I watched J.R. Smith play basketball before? Uh, like, there are definitely some guys that are not the brightest. That's just um, fair. Shaqton a fool would, would bear that out i would say that segment they do on tnt but yeah rashawn holmes was going he didn't understand that he couldn't just cross the street to pick up his food from a delivery guy it's not like he was like leaving the premises or anything um it was stupid uh i think he just thought he was going to get away with it but yeah the the whole snitch line thing is hilarious to me but i just don't see how with adults anyone's going to take that seriously, right? Like no one, no one's going to use that e-book. when they should because they don't want to be a snitch. And when they shouldn't, it might get used because of what you mentioned. Guys are either playing jokes on their buddies because they think it's funny and they're immature or legitimately someone just has a vendetta <laughs> against an opposing team and they want to throw them I mean, like you don't think Michael Jordan would have had like one of his goons calling up, larry bird or something and or calling the the snitch line on larry bird like during the playoffs that absolutely would have happened so i mean someone will be competitive enough to use this against one of their opponents
0: i yeah i I agree with that part of it but i mean look if you're maybe you're a team staff member and you see that 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 fred is coming in from from a bender somewhere at a strip club that he shouldn't have been off campus i'm sorry i again if we're all into this together i need us all to be in together or you're gonna take the whole thing down i I just think but i think like again, it's on
1: Disney World's premises where I think they have like cameras everywhere. I think all these guys are pretty much being monitored. I think they have like a strict check-in policy and and all their, their wrist IDs are are tagging when they check in. I think so like, I think if someone actually leaves and tries to come back, they're going to know about it. I don't think the snitch line is going to catch them with that. I think the snitch line is catching like players uh, cozying up in a in a room together and playing video games or something when they're not supposed to. Things of that nature, which again, I just don't see players doing the right thing and calling on each other. Maybe some personnel people will do it. Maybe not. I don't know. It just seems like something that's not going to be used in the manner it was meant for. Uh, like most things that are designed, it, it, it's well-intentioned. It's just, it's adults and they're not going to use something called a snitch line. However, and, I'm and more I, interested in what we've already talked about on this podcast, which is the side, conjugal things, visits, getting some action. Yeah. We already have an Instagram model, Anna Maya, Ugly Anna on Instagram, if you uh, needed to check her out. She said she was already invited to the bubble. She tweeted a screenshot from uh, one of the, the players, or she claims as a player, and said, yeah, the season is definitely ending early. So, uh, Skinny, th- this is, there, are, there are a lot of things that they can work around. I don't know that these guys being celibate is one of them.
0: I, I i've seriously i mean i think people maybe think i'm joking ju- I've, I've seriously said that i mean seriously dude 20 year old in shape athletes who can get it anytime they want from probably anywhere they want you think they're going without for a long period of time right four you think months going without for a day yeah right, right. Not yeah Got yeah, not yeah. A chance
1: G- jim from from uh lakota is like oh I, i've had sex in four months it's not that my guy these are elite fornicators they are doing it at no any point in time that they want to, like they, m- multiple times per day. They can just slide in DMs whenever they want, any city. They can fly women from other cities in if they're in somewhere like Salt Lake where they don't find the women of that city good enough for them. So,
0: these Yes, and, got- and listen, Jim and Lacone, you can argue the morality of that all you want, but that's neither here nor there. It is what it is. and And so it I is. just, I honestly, I don't know how they're going to pull this off. I truly think they almost have to have to allow some level of that in. And again, test whoever comes in, take their temperature. Have you been sick? Once they're off campus, test again. What, I, I mean, I'm i sorry. It's going to have to happen And because it's, it's going to happen.
1: And what do you think they're doing for weed? Like I'm sure a lot of guys brought their, their own stuff if they were able to, you know, get something that wasn't checked in or whatever, but there's got to be a staffer or, a player on a minimum contract, like someone that's not making a lot of money that is industrious enough. He's the mule. They're the mule. Someone, Someone has to be because, like, I can't imagine the NBA is sanctioning in drug dealers to be brought into the bubble to be tested. And at the same time, the other thing these guys aren't going out without is weed. I'm not saying all of them, but, like, there is a significant portion of NBA players or any profession in the world right now that smokes weed regularly and especially some of these guys that use it as, like, their way to deal with pain as opposed to taking pills or something. So right, I, right. I want to know who is taking care of the weed demand inside the bubble as well. That story has not come out yet, but it's well, only a matter I, of time.
0: I wonder if, uh, if Steven Jackson and, um, and Matt Barnes um, are doing their podcast, uh, their Showtime podcast, all the smoke live from there. And maybe they bring all the smoke. Maybe that's their job. And that's, um,
1: he's, in, Matt is involved with a lot of that. That stuff, right? Like, I mean, that's been oh yeah. That's his like career post-basketball, aside from the media stuff he's doing, is he's into like all types of cannabis uh companies and things like that. So maybe he he does have the hookup and the NBA is just like, look, keep it quiet. I don't know.
0: Can you imagine though, in, in another whatever, six months? Let's say you know the, this works out and they're all out of the bubble, five months, whatever, and Disney reopens some of these hotels and 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 Jim and Jim and jean uh Mrs. America come in with their two little kids, and five-year-old Johnny goes, mommy what's that smell can you imagine what some of the fumigation levels would be like
1: skinny you didn't read the contract between the nba and disney world there is a two million dollar steam cleaning charge for all the curtains and carpets after they get it
0: and it it still might not get all the smell out my man
1: no no it's going to be soaked into the walls and uh, furniture i'm sure Uh, i mean these are real questions that that need to be addressed they're they're already coming out on social media and it only took what three days
0: yeah, I mean, and these are, like I said, I mean, I, I have joked a little bit about the whole celibacy thing early on, but it's a real thing. I mean, that's
1: maybe the most real part of yes. all of this. I mean, like, I'm scared to see what they start doing at some point. If like, we really make all these guys be celibate for two weeks or so.
0: But yeah, the, the pent up frustration you know, you're probably, I'm sure they have rules like baseball of no fighting. Can you imagine the fights that'll be involved? And it's like, you know what? I don't even know why I hit that guy. Oh yeah, I do. Cause I have so much frustration built up. I mean, I can't stand it any longer.
1: Yeah. Like you think Boban Marvzanovich can just go without getting laid. I mean, you think JJ Redick is, is going without for a couple of weeks, please.
0: Yeah, elite ass. Yeah, somebody's gonna somebody's gonna opt out in three weeks and say, "Why'd you opt out? You afraid of COVID? You sick? You are not feeling well?" No, man, I gotta get me some, and I'm out. I, yeah. I, I'm out. See ya.
1: I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It was it was past the four hour mark. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just silly. I mean, I, I I would have hoped they would have thought about this in some way, shape, or form. I really mean that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they have. I just don't know if they came up with a good solution for it. But either way, it's going to continue to provide us with endless entertainment. That's the great thing about the NBA. They have, while the NFL has created this male soap opera that is constantly like about politics and the, the troops and racial issues and guys getting arrested, the NBA has this I mean, the games are great. Brian Snow said something to this effect on Twitter that I agree with. The games are great about the NBA, but it's like the fourth best thing about the NBA. Like there is so much nonsense that happens in the NBA um, soap opera, but it's all fun and funny stuff for the most part. And, and way less politics and drama aside from when you get into the occasional people getting mad because LeBron doesn't like racism or something. You know I mean? For the most yeah. part, they steer pretty clear of that. And they, they stick with the silliness and, uh, I can't wait to see it continue here over the, the coming weeks. So, Skinny, anything like, else on the like NBA bubble?
0: Before, yeah, the only thing I would say is, just, again, cross your fingers that it works. Whether you like the NBA or not, um, if you want sports, um, you better hope the NBA bubble works. And I think it, it's off to a good start. You've had a couple positive tests. You've had a couple guys from outside. You've had the Russell Westbrook who's high profile. But it's not going to be the end of the world. Um, he's going to come back. And, again, if you want sports, other sports, you want college football – let's hope this works and i think yeah. it will
1: because this is the one that has the best chance at working Correct. so if this Correct. doesn't happen then things are uh, looking pretty bleak going forward yep all right skinny it is time for our favorite part of the podcast ask skinny anything that's where our listeners send us links comments uh, dms posts on the xavier message board anything any way they can reach us and give us topics links whatever for you to talk about uh, we'll start with one coming off the Xavier message board. Obviously a lot of uh, college basketball questions happen during this segment because of the people that listen to us. And uh, this one is who would win in a cage match? Travis Steele versus John Brandon, which I'll just say right now is a stupid question. John Brandon would mop the floor with Travis Steele. Like what are we talking
0: about no, here? Not even announced it out. John yeah. Brandon was uh what did he score in college? Fifteen hundred? Yeah, I mean
1: he's six five, he's got yeah. length, six, he's seven got athleticism. Yeah, whatever. I mean, Travis Steele is a uh, I mean, not. He's small, and he's not like a particularly angry, tough small guy. You know, he doesn't have like small guy syndrome. He's just kind of a normal small guy who's pretty relaxed. So, I, I mean, that's a dumb question. But what I think <laughs> is a better question is Steele versus Cronin, and John Brandon versus Chris Mack.
0: I take see the problem for Chris obviously is he had the knee issues that came up, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But they're very similar in age. I st- I'm gonna. T- I hate to tell Chris this. I'd take John, though. I would too. I just think he's a little more spry. Still. See, I never. I've never seen Travis play. Mick was actually. For those that you can laugh, Mick was actually a really good high school player until he heard. But his we're lady.
1: talking about fighting. This is a fight to the death. I know. Okay, I know.
0: Josh. Yeah. I. I think I'd take Mick. Or do you think Mick is more bark than bite?
1: I, that's exactly what he is. He is fake <laughs> West Side toughness. I mean, you've seen what he's done in the confrontations with like J.P. Makira. He goes uh, they, look. I, I'm I don't think Travis Steele is a tough guy, but I'm not picking Mick Cronin to beat anybody in a fight. He's five foot two, 145 pounds, and he screams way too much to be good at fighting. Plus, he's from the West Side of Cincinnati. They're all fake tough.
0: Yeah. Now, these guys say- are all fake. Yeah, I would say for Mick and for, for Mac, they both kind of hail from the same area, believe it or not. Their roots right. are in Saint Bernard. Well, and so Brandon, that, Brandon's
1: in that group too, right? Where's he No, well he's yeah, a, he's no, a New guy. Yeah.
0: He's a Newcastle guy, but his family's actually the roots are there in St. Bernard. I mean, yeah. so they they they're they're they have some similar backgrounds in that regard. So that would be an interesting one. I still think I'd take John and just uh, man, maybe maybe it's John's voice is a, is a little tougher to me. Maybe that's what it is. And that, yeah, yeah, but probably again,
1: Max a GCL guy too. is from Saint X, so knocking point. points. Uh, this the person followed up with in their prime Rick Majeris versus Bob Huggins, and that's a no doubter. It's Bob Huggins. No what question. are we doing here? Bob well, no Huggins question. could
0: still whoop most people's ass. the The only thing I'll give Rick Majerus whoop you there. Sorry about that. I cut out. Oh. the only thing I'd give Rick Majerus is he's clever enough to bring a weapon. He would he would have been smart because let's face it, Rick Majerus is that coach that Wright was always. He he didn't have as much talent, but he always outsmarted teams and stuff. And he, trust me, he thought he was the smartest guy in the room a lot of times too. But he is smart enough to bring a weapon and Hugs That's would just good look point. And go. I'll still kick your ass.
1: <laughs> Majerus, Majerus would have a shank underneath his stool. Like he's not getting correct. up. He's waiting for Bob to come to him and then he's shanking. That's correct. Up. So That's he'd correct. have a chance. But Huggins would fight through a shank, man. <laughs> a Huggins,
0: to, would so, a Huggins would be so
1: Huggins be so hopped up on Woodford, he'd be fine.
0: <laughs> he could take about four or five stab wounds and still keep coming at you. Yeah, it'd be
1: 30 seconds before <laughs> he recognized. You got a little exactly. delay reaction when you're on the side. Exactly. Sauce. All right, skinny uh, sports related question here. Best female basketball player you've ever seen in person, high school, college, pro.
0: Um
1: for me, it's easy it's easy at the first two levels at Sydney Moss. Uh, I've yeah. never seen a, a pro player. Uh, I wish I would have seen Kelsey Mitchell play.
0: Yeah, I did not see Kelsey Mitchell play either, other than on TV. Um, I will tell you, and this is way back when, there was a great girls' basketball player here in Northern Kentucky, Jackie Bearden, who unfortunately was involved in an accident after her senior year of high school and didn't get a chance to play in college. Um, she single-handedly led led my high school to to a state tournament one year. She was just superb. Um, but that did was back. Did you get to see year. Jamie Walls? I did. Jamie was fantastic, too. I mean, Jamie was just superb. I, the only thing I would say, and this is not a knock on either one, and Jamie came well after Jackie. Jackie graduated in 1980. I think Jamie was late 90s, 96, 97-ish. In that era of, of girls' basketball, women's basketball, one player could literally carry a team. I mean, literally, yeah. they made the difference. And um, it's obviously changed now where you know girls' basketball has gotten significantly better. I, I mean, I've coached it. I, I, I can see it firsthand. Um, I will say I'm I'm proud to have coached a girl that's playing at DePaul right now. And I think she was, I don't know if she was first team all big East. I think she was second team, a girl named Lexi held that played at Cooper. I wouldn't put her in that group of greatest players ever, but man, she was really, really good and is really good. Um, Yeah. I'm kind of with you just in person. Sydney Moss was just ridiculous. And when she was at Thomas more, I mean, that was a division one talent that was just embarrassing people around her.
1: (laughs) It was a joke. Uh, Yeah. The thing Sydney had was exactly like her dad, it felt like there was no – her potential was limitless. Like, she she always had more if she needed it, you know? I mean, she was never tapping out to her potential when she was beating up people, you know? Like, I remember my first year coaching girls' high school basketball, I was on a staff. We played against her in the first round right. of our district tournament, and I mean, we came up with all types of gimmicks to stop her. We, we weren't guarding their point guard because she couldn't shoot, so we just had a, a secondary shadow defender behind – Sydney's first defender of the whole game. We keep her quiet for two quarters. We're in the game. She goes off and she scores like 29 points in the second half and uh, ends up with 40, and they win by 15 or so or something like that. I don't know what it was, but, I mean, it was just a joke how quickly she could take over a game and do anything she wanted when she decided it was time.
0: The, the, the greatest play I ever saw her make was, 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 was at Thomas Moore. Um, it was in an NCAA tournament game I covered for the Enquirer. And everybody talks about, you know, who's arguably one of the great two-hand chess passers of all time from, from, from full court, Kevin Love, right? I mean, people rave about how effortless Kevin Love can be below yep. one foul line and throw a chess pass all the way to the other end. She did that. I mean, she grabbed a rebound, took one dribble, two-hand chess pass, caught a person on the fly inside the lane on the other end, caught it, laid it in without taking a step. And I, I tried to look around to see if anybody else was as amazed as I was at that. And for those of you that are thinking about guys, and I'm talking to the men, especially Tell you what, go to your next high school basketball court, grab a basketball, and try to see how far you can throw a two-hand chest pass from about the middle of the lane on the other end of the floor. I'll bet you 90% of you don't get it to the top of the key on the other end.
1: Right. And then add in, like, an actual game situation yes. where there's traffic and people are moved, and you're doing right. it just, like, with a flick of the wrist the way she could. Her strength uh, was unrivaled when she was playing against, uh, you know, her other, other women, so.
0: Yeah, I, yeah I, again, I, there, there's been a lot of good ones, and... Um, I mean, you could argue the people you saw on TV, the UConn players and the heyday, the Tennessee players, but in person, to me, Sydney Moss topped them all.
1: Yeah, I mean, what she was all uh, SEC freshman team Correct. before she transferred out of Florida, Correct. so I and, mean, she would I did, have dominated there too.
0: I did for, for 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 three years or four years. I did for the Cats Paws preseason magazine. I actually did all the UK women's basketball stuff. And then they would have me, uh, during tournament time, I'd actually go cover, um, some of their women's games and, and they had some good players. Adia Mathis comes to mind. She was a really good player. Um, and who was
1: sick was Michaela Epps.
0: Mackenzie Evans really Epps good. Yes, she yeah. was nasty, and I saw her in high school too. So I did yeah, too, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's there's just a lot of them, and it's just it's it's evolved over. So it's it's interesting to see how girls' basketball, women's basketball, has evolved. From like I said, that era of one player literally carry a team about as far as they could carry a team, and that just doesn't happen anymore. You have to have just like in men's basketball, boys basketball, whatever, um, you got to have multiple players that can play to, to take you a long way.
1: All right, skinny. A lot of questions about you coaching always during this segment, and we've got a couple great. more today. Just just great. Uh, first of all, is St. Pius the only gym you are banned from, which I didn't even know you're banned from St. Pius, but someone on Twitter claims you are.
0: <laughs> I, I'm not banned from there. I got kicked out of there though. Um, do, do you want that story for a Yeah. I mean, awesome.
1: obviously we're not going to go there without hearing the story.
0: All right. So I was coaching Villa's, uh, girls. I think we were, I think it was a seventh grade team, seventh and eighth. I had them combined. Um, and they, cause I had seventh graders. I had to play up. We didn't have enough eighth graders. So we were playing a really good St. Joe's team who, um, and we were really good, actually. I mean, for a Villa team, we were we were good. And so we were we somehow drew them in a tournament. We drew them in St. Pius's tournament over the holidays. And it was a Saturday morning, and it snowed like crazy. And literally everything was going to be called off. And I got a call about, "Hey, I, I we may not have drawn St. Joe's. I take it back. It might have been St. Joe's asked to play us at that point. I can't remember. Why. I can't remember how it all worked out, but somehow." They said, listen, if you guys can make it, we'll go ahead and play the game tonight. I said, oh, okay. I'll ask my parents. Parents are like, yeah, you know, we can all get shoveled out and go. And um, so they had a really good girl um, who ended up playing volleyball. She might have gone to college and played. She definitely was a really good volleyball player at Notre Dame is where she ended up going. And she was just so big, we didn't have the size to match up with her. So I told one of my girls, and I said, let's play behind her. And I said, you're going to have to, have to when, when she tries to post, walk her out of there and not let her set up where she likes and we'll try to maybe double down on occasion, blah, blah, blah. So we we're in the game. And I was I was I was a little mad anyway. I can't remember how the whole the whole snow thing still was one of those ones where they like begged us to play and they might have threatened to have us forfeit if we didn't show up. And so I said, you know what? We'll play anybody, anytime, anywhere. That was always my mantra. I still is. It's corny, but I do it. So we show up and play. Oh, so no. the- yeah, I know. So early in the game, my girl tries to walk this girl out of the post and gets called for a foul, which I thought was ticky tack. And I was just I was squatted over, and I clapped my hands together. And the, the guy, the, I said, come on, man. If we're going to call that, we're going to be here all night. And he gives me the smart ass, in my opinion. Coach, you coach, and I'll ref. To which, of course, smart ass me came back. I said, well, if you could ref, I would coach. Oh, so, all right. So like he, he, he bangs me. Well, I stand up and start saying my piece, and I want to talk to him about it. I, and at this point, I'm very calm. I said, listen, I, I said, I want to talk to him. And the other ref comes sprinting over and tells, says, sit down, Big Mouth. And I went, whoa, we're not going to go there, buddy. I said, I want to talk to him. He said, I've told you to sit your ass down, Big Mouth. Ooh. I said, friend, we're not going to do this. To which at that point, he throws me out. And then I lost my mind. I think I called people Mickey Mouse. I, I said, this tournament is a sham. I, I embarrassed the living daylights out of myself. My assistant literally had to pick me up and drag me off the floor. Um, so I don't think I'm banned but I I probably are not welcome.
1: Well, this guy thinks you're banned. I'll say that.
0: Um, it's it's quite possible. Is it's, is that the only
1: gym you've been thrown out of?
0: Yeah, yeah. And you're not
1: banned from any others that you know of?
0: Not that I know of. I mean, there's a possibility there's one in, in Tennessee that, that, that could be close from my AAU days. <laughs> but I didn't get kicked out of that game. I just got teed up. So I guess, I guess I'm not banned from that one.
1: After hearing that St. Pius story, it's not – I mean, I'm sure you went off the deep end at the end and, and really shouldn't have done that. But up until that point, I didn't think that was one of your bad showings. I correct. think you were kind of oh, in correct. the right. And
0: what, and what made me maddest was the, the fact that they were that quick to throw me out. And then I turned to find out that they're basically St. Pius officials, right? And so,
1: you uh, know. Classic St. Pius the 10th cheating going on there. Correct. So
0: I'm like, you know. My and, alma mater. And the thing that made me – like I said, the madness is I, I literally went out of my way to get our team to come play that night, and you're going to throw me out over that? No, that's that's not going to happen. That's not fair.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree with you, actually, on that one. I think you were unfairly tossed. I would but, like the video of seeing what you did after that, though, I will admit.
0: Yeah, that part – That part was way over the top. But like I said, I mean, did I deserve the one T? I probably did. I just wanted to talk to him about it just to say, listen, I probably deserve that. But listen, you know, she's going to shove on that. And I just want to give my point about it. Um, Was I, yeah, again, was I a smart ass to the point where I deserved the T? The second T I did not deserve. And that's why I lost my mind. I'm thinking you got to be kidding me.
1: Did you ever get teed up for one of your parents? Like one of your parents said something to the refs and they were so mad about it that they just teed you up for whatever basically after it?
0: No, but – but the-
1: that, that happened <laughs> to me once up at uh, the 7th uh, and 8th grade girls league up at Newcath. They play at Newcath and Brossard on Saturday mornings. When I was coaching St. Joe's, uh, Ron Arnsberger, the ice man. Oh, yeah. Reffing. He's got that little patch of hair in the front that he'll, like, gel up. And uh, he had a couple bad calls in a row. So, my, my parents were just losing their minds on him for, like, an extended period of time. I had argued a couple calls, but nothing – I mean, for the most part, I, I hadn't said anything to him directly – and one of my parents, it got quiet. One of them just screamed, nice hair. And at, right after that, I asked him a question. It wasn't – I didn't say anything remotely inflammatory. I just asked him a question and wasn't even being a jerk about it. And he just turned and banged me for it. And I was like, oh, you're not – come on. That's not, That wasn't me. I didn't say that about you. No, I, I think I your did, hair is
0: nice. I did have a- – <laughs> <laughs> That's a good comeback. I did have uh, my scorekeeper who's been with me for a long time. She's the wife of a guy who's, who's been my uh, assistant coach in AAU and, and through high school and all that stuff. And she's she's surely delightful. She just loves the game. So we were playing an AAU tournament at Georgetown and um, she was sitting in her chair keeping the books. There was like no room, there was no real scores table. You had just enough room for right, yeah. somebody to keep the clock. So she's kind of sitting in a chair next to the bench. And she says something to the ref. He didn't tee her up. She said, He, he just turned around and goes, You leave. She goes, I will and she threw the book down and off she went. I thought, okay, at least, at least we didn't get teed up for that.
1: Who did the book after
0: that? That's a major issue. Uh, I think Tough. I handed it to her husband and said, you do it. your wife, you do it. <laughs> Tough to
1: get a volunteer for that.
0: Yeah, no question. I, I, I will say one of the worst, I think I've told this story before. This was in a summer league at St. Catharines. Um. Why does all this happen at Catholic schools for me? Maybe it's because I'm not Catholic. Uh, maybe they know that they're after. Well, it's
1: Catholic. also because the Catholics are cheaters.
0: Um. See, I'm not going to go there, Rick. I, well, I I'm coach- Catholic.
1: I can say I that. that. I went to St.
0: Pius. I coached at a Catholic school. My daughter graduated from Villa Madonna. So, um. Uh, okay. I, I, you, maybe you're right. But up at St. Catharines one night, this one kid was in way over his head. Just, a, just terrible. I mean, I know he was trying, but he just, he just wasn't very good. And of course, then I let out the line of of, hey, you might as well kiss me because you've done everything else to my team tonight.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, all right, that's probably not <laughs> the, the best.
0: The best part was he didn't bang me, his partner did. Oh, rightfully so. And I, and I, and he turned and he laughed, he goes, that's pretty damn funny. You can't said, say that. I said, well, I didn't offend you, I offended him. He goes, I can't let you get away with that. I said, okay, fair enough.
1: He was right, yeah. Yeah, he was right. Uh, all right, briefly here, do you have a good answer for best win and toughest loss as a coach?
0: Um, toughest loss was a couple years ago in the semifinals of the, uh, the Northern Kentucky freshman tournament. We had a really good Covcath team down, um, by one with about a minute to go. We were in a delay game. I told the guys, you know, you can have a look layups, you know, you're in layup or free throw time. Right. And I had one of my kids, he's going to be a great player. He's going to be a junior this year. I think he's going to end up being a division one player. He was an eighth grader playing up for me. And he goes around his guy, because a big guy's guarding him, he goes around him for a wide-open layup and missed it. They go down and score. We go down and miss. We end up losing by three. And he is just balling in the locker room, blaming himself. And I couldn't have been more proud of guys. I think they beat us earlier in the year by, like, 25 points, something like that. And we were a really good team. We only lost, like, five or six games. But they were just exceedingly good, as you can imagine a Covcath freshman team would be, right? And yeah. um uh, I mean, to almost pull off that upset, we had them down eight at halftime this past year in the semifinals and lost. So we've had a couple of tough losses. Best win. I mean, I'm not, tr- I don't, this is going to sound braggadocious, but I mean. Championship. Uh, yeah. To win an AAU national championship, that, that game. And just because it was such a good game. It was a, it's one of those games 64 59, I think was the final, but it was just like a back and forth where there was a lot of fun strategy involved There were um, just out of a couple timeouts where you needed guys to execute on both ends and you walked them through how you wanted them to execute. And they did. It's like, that's just pretty gratifying for players too. So that, that was fun. I mean, I still remember not I, the one thing I remember thinking the last few seconds as the time ticked off. I'm like, I'm not going to run around like Jimmy Valvano and make a fool of myself. Uh, these kids are in that. And just to kind of stand off to the side and watch them celebrate through all that, that hard work. And, and, and you know, Rick, you've been through that stuff. Um, you know, we practice three days a week in a, in a, in a hot gym at, at holmes high school in the summertime not their main gym kind of this auxiliary gym and then you're playing tournaments every weekend and to finally have the culmination because when we went to the nationals all i wanted to do was get out of our pool play and be able to get into a bracket play and win a game suddenly you just keep rolling up win after win after win after win and you look up and like holy cow we're in the championship game this is kind of crazy um and, and we did it at greensboro coliseum where they played final fours and i tried to tell the kids the history of that they. of didn't really seem to care but I thought <laughs> that was kind of cool that hey I, you know national championships have been won here fellas and you're playing for a national championship so yeah i mean to me by far that's the most that's the most gratifying
1: well clearly that uh speech worked what is your favorite sports movie
0: um i got a cup slap is a is is a favorite of mine I I, I I see you have to break it down for genres i almost got one in probably almost every sport um you know, I, I, again, I watched Bull Durham last night for the 5,000th time. I really didn't mean to. There wasn't a whole lot on, so it was on, and I watched it. Um, Slapshot to me, just I, every time I watch it, I can't help but, but laugh at it. Um, again, it just depends on the genre. We Are Marshall. I've only cried at like two or three movies, and We Are Marshall and Miracle, um, the, the story of the 80 Olympic hockey team. And that's really more kind of – it's not a documentary, but it's kind of a docu-movie, both of those, because they are real-life circumstances um so yeah i mean there's just different reasons for me liking different movies so you'd have to almost give me a genre uh, or a sport to be quite honest with you but uh like i said slap is way up there on the list for me slap shot huh all right 19- fair. Paul, paul newman 1977 go look it up the Hanson brothers it's classic you would even like it today rick
1: fair enough i, I would say my favorite is probably above the rim if i had to uh, yep. go with the sports movie so how
0: about uh, how about the fish that's save pittsburgh starring dr j from back in the 1970s i did not see that one it was one of the worst of all time okay
1: (laughs) good to know uh all right what oh (laughs) what is your biggest personal on field sports accomplishment
0: biggest on field
1: yeah like you being the athlete
0: man oh man i think doubling off for off Major League pitcher Jeff Parrott in an inner squad game when I was walking on at Kentucky uh, back in the early 80s. All
1: right. Well, that's, that's a pretty good one.
0: I'm trying to think if there would be anything that would top that as a, as a sports accomplishment. I don't think there's, there's anything that would top that. All
1: right. I uh, This is actually a, a legitimately decent question here to talk about related to the Bengals. Um, who is the new Bengal you're most excited to see, excluding Joe Burrow from the list? Lots of new names to consider: T. Higgins, Jonah Williams, the rookie linebackers, Von Bell, D.J. Reader, Mackenzie Alexander, Trey Waynes. Um, he also said throw in Drew Sample, even which you know if that's who <laughs> you're most excited to see. God bless you, Skinny.
0: Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. I've, I've seen that that story. Best blocking tight end of the draft. Remember that at all times. Yep. Um, Von Bell excites me a little bit because he's kind of a playmaker. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to be solid. It's another thing to go make plays, create some turnovers. I think they need a guy like that. I'm excited about the rookie linebackers, but I still don't know how to sort them out yet. I don't know which one plays in front of the other or how they sort them out. Um, you know, Josh Bynes doesn't do anything for me. DJ Reader, again, if DJ Reader plays well, you'll notice him a little, but you're not going to really notice DJ Reader, right? I mean, you're just not. He's going to plug a couple gaps. He's going to free some stuff up for other people. Um, I, T. Higgins is going to be interesting, but in a perfect world, and again, this is a perfect world, A.J. Green, John Ross, Tyler Boyd are your three main wide receivers, and I don't know how much you see T. Higgins. Now, maybe he you know, just bursts through and uh, has to get on the field, but I think with, with the way this offseason is shaped up, Rick, I think for some of those rookies getting on the field early, other than Joe Burrow, is going to be really hard. I think it's going to be hard for some of those young linebackers too. To me, though, Von Bell excites me a little bit just because of the big play potential on defense. I think they need that guy.
1: For me, it may not be the sexy pick, but Jonah Williams is without question the guy I'm, I'm most excited to see because it's so important. Like, we've just been counting on the fact that Jonah Williams is going to be this cornerstone You're right. left tackle going forward. And we have no idea if that's the case. Like, guys flop all the time on the offensive line. They need him to be really good. And if that's the case, then like, maybe you have something building with him and Burrow. You can add a right tackle and sure up that side of the line. And, and maybe you've, you're really working with something and the path to becoming a competitive NFL franchise is, is a, a much easier one to see. If he is not good, this offensive line still sucks for the most part. Like they've no, got no, no way too many holes and, and no real studs. They need him to be not just solid, but really good. And and so he's the guy I'm most excited to see with, yeah. without a doubt.
0: And Rick, that, that actually segues to a topic we really didn't get to. I touched on it a little bit, but if, if this offseason plays out or this preseason, whether it plays out the way the NFLPA wants it to, which is no preseason games, limited 11-on-11 11 11 practices, I think it just kills the Bengals. Because, look, you're, you're going to have a new right guard probably in Xavier Suafilo. You might have a new right tackle in in Fred Johnson. And even if you don't, Xavier Suafilo has, has, has not played with either the center, Trey Hopkins, to his left, or whoever the right tackle is to his right. You're going to have Jonah Williams at left tackle. Jonah Williams is new, as you just mentioned. Jonah Williams is going to have a guy that he's not played to next to his right. And guess what? Whoever the left guard is, is not going to play, play next to Jonah Williams. And then you're going to try to work Joe Burrow into the mix. And those young linebackers are in the mix with limited 11-on-11s, no preseason snaps to where you at least get some level of live game speed. I joked on a, on a show, I was on with Tony Pike on, on ESPN 1530 last week, and I kind of joked and said, can you imagine that first snap when, when, when Bosa goes right around Jonah Williams like a statue and he realizes, oh my God, this game is fast because he's not used to the game speed. It won't be his fault, but I, I think that if the preseason comes the way they want, I think it just kills the Bengals.
1: Well, just the very nature of this question – all of the new faces that you have to look at aside from the franchise quarterback of the future, Joe Burrow. uh, Yeah. The the less time that these guys have to work together, the worse it is for the Bengals. But to be honest with you, Skinny, I'm not as worried about that because the Bengals aren't going to be competitive this year anyway. Like, again, I think a a really good scenario is the Bengals going eight and eight. I don't think that's
0: going to happen. Yeah, I think that's a far fetched too. If they
1: win six games, I'd feel pretty good about the way things went. And that may even be tough for them considering the, the lack of time to prepare with all these new faces. So I'm most interested in just seeing these new guys on the field. Do they have some talent? Do they start to gel and get better as things move on? And, and what does this coaching staff look like? Because, you know, obviously last year it's tough to judge them off of, but um, this year – I don't know that we're going to learn a ton more, considering all the roster turnover that's taking place.
0: No, I mean that, that's exactly right. Um, and you know, maybe that's how you treat this season of, especially the first month of, you know, if we're not going to have a preseason, and and you're not going to treat it like a preseason of playing Jonah Williams two quarters and Joe Burrow two quarters, but almost of look, let's just treat this as a learning process for all these guys. And maybe you're zero and four out of the shoot, but you're seeing some level of progress and that's the way you're going to have to treat it. I kind of feel for Zach Taylor coming off two and 14, you can't put together another two and 14. And I don't think they will. I think they're certainly better than that, but just the nature of all these new moving parts and very limited 11 on 11 and maybe no preseason games. How do you get ready for the real season? You don't,
1: it could be a disaster. it really could. Uh, all right, Skinny, what's the biggest act of driving incompetence you've ever seen? This person wants a full-on skinny road rage story, though you don't have to be directly involved.
0: So this is a road rage? Or, or I, I phrase, rephrase the question for me.
1: I think he wants to hear about when you were most pissed off at somebody on the road. He says, what's the biggest act of driving incompetence you've ever seen?
0: I almost had it yesterday where motorcycle man decides to come rolling up right behind me going a thousand miles an hour, then whips out in front of car next to me to where it almost caused a three chain reaction crash. It's like, what, what are you doing, dude? I'll respect you as a motorcyclist, but I'm not gonna respect you going 85 miles an hour on route 18 rolling up from behind me. What if I had suddenly looked behind me, didn't see him, he's going way too fast and I try to pass somebody as he's trying to pass me.
1: Yeah, look, I don't like to stereotype, uh, especially in in the times we're in in our country, but I'm not a motorcycle guy guy. I I do not like motorcycle guys.
0: I don't think I I think most of them are pretty safe, but there's the one or two of them that I've got my first motorbike and I'm going to go as fast as I can because that's why I got this. No, no, no. You gotta yeah. obey the rules of the road too. You can't just go zipping in and out of traffic the way you want, and then you're gonna get the complaint of, "Oh, respect motorcyclists." I do respect you, but respect me too. Don't weave in and out of traffic just because you think you can.
1: Yeah, I uh, I don't like the way they dress. A lot of them, and again, I'm stereotyping, but I don't. I just don't like their attitude. I don't like the way they drive. I don't like the 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 way they dress. I'm um, not a big motorcycle guy. I'm just putting it out
0: there. Yeah, I thought. I thought the first part of your question was, what was the best driving accomplishment I had seen? No, the biggest was... act of driving incompetence. Incompetence. Okay, yeah, yes. no. I was just saying, because I had a friend of mine that made one of the great driving moves of all time. We'll save that for another podcast. Oh, no. I've got a great personal story of that involved. So do I. And this is back in an era where you didn't wear seatbelts either. And I still don't <laughs> know how I'm alive today without my friend's driving prowess, to be quite frank. But yeah, no, I guess I go the motorcycle. That and in, in the, in the trucker that has to get up on your ass. I, I don't like, I've told you, I don't like people, Tailgating. There's no reason for it. As long as I'm going my eight or nine miles an hour above the speed limit and I'm in the proper lane, if I'm going 74 and a 65 in the middle lane, and you roll up on my ass and you can pass me on the left, I almost want to brake check you. I just don't want to go through the hassle of getting plowed in the rear end and then having to deal with your insurance company because you probably don't have insurance.
1: Fair enough. I think that's I mean, uh, exactly what this guy wanted to hear. To be yeah, I mean,
0: I mean, at that point, the left lane is open. I'm not going. To, I'm not going 62 and a 65 in the passing lane, okay? I'm not Grandma Moses who decided way back 10 miles ago that I picked the left lane and I'm not getting out of the left lane. I get it. I'm not going to speed, so I probably won't be in the passing lane unless somebody's going a little slower in front of me. I give myself plenty of time to get over, get around them, and get back over. That's the and then I had a a guy that I'm going on 275, and he gets right on my bumper going down the hill and pretty much – it was kind of rush hour traffic, but not complete bumper-to-bumper. Bumper. And to the point where I finally brake-checked him, he slammed the brakes on. We get off the exit there at at, uh, at Madison Pike. I'm going to a funeral, for goodness sakes. And, and so he rolls up. I'm turning left there at the light on, on uh, Madison Pike. He's turning right, and he flips me off. And I thought, <laughs> dude, you cut up on my ass as I'm trying to get off the exit ramp and bumper-to-bumper traffic. What did you think I was going to
1: do? I do like flipping people off from time to time, though, even if it was my fault. So I <laughs> – I, I like that move by that guy. Uh, you know what I love about this segment? Uh, our listeners know what they're doing here, right? Like this guy sends that that question. And I'm like, oh, what's 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 he gonna have off the top of his head for that question? You know, but like I'm gonna ask it because the guy was nice enough to send it in. So I, I read you that question, and this guy knew exactly what was gonna happen. He sets you off on a five minute tirade about uh, multiple driving incompetence stories. So very well done and, and, and the, and the best by our point-
0: listeners. And the best part of it is most of them have happened in the last two weeks. If you ask me that question again in two weeks, I'll have three more stories for well, you.
1: Well, that's the thing. This guy knows you're just constantly pissed off about other people driving, and that's why he asked the question. He just wanted to hear you rant, and God bless him. I, that I, might be on, there might only be one person who is still listening to this podcast because he wanted to hear that segment, but good for him because he got it. He got exactly what he wanted.
0: Can anybody tell me why it's that hard to keep a couple of car links between you and the car in front of you? I, and I, don't really, get
1: that. It, I don't
0: get that, And that's why every morning when it rains, you hear of all these accidents, right? And you're thinking, well, why is it? Because is it the rain? Yeah, it's the rain. And it's the idiot that's right up on your ass that when you have to touch the brakes because the people in front of you hit the brakes hasn't given proper distance, bam, right in the back of you.
1: Well, the nice thing is he was also texting while he was right on your ass.
0: So. Well, usually that's, yeah, that's, that's yeah, true that's too. too. That, that's a good call too. All
1: yeah. right, well, we'll wrap it up with one final question. This actually comes from me. It's a, a personal story I, I wanted to, to get your opinion on. Uh, we are driving – I went to the lake last week, as we talked about. We are driving um, there, and we are listening to the Up and Vanished podcast uh, by uh, one of the newspapers in Atlanta, and the uh, person who hosts that is named Payne Uh Shout-out to the Up and Vanished podcast and Payne Lindsay. As we're uh, driving, my girlfriend mentions, oh, I really like the name Payne. I say, really? Is that right? Um, so I guess my question is, is the name – pain broaring a great name for a kid or the best name of all time for a kid because uh, i immediately i immediately just went to picturing my entire family and bring the pain shirts but spelled like p-a-y-n-e know, like that's the question is, basketball game
0: yeah <laughs> How, see, I, I love i love the name i was gonna say as long as you're spelling it p-a-y-n-e if you're gonna do p-a-i-n for whatever no no reason, grow yeah, up.
1: yeah
0: yeah i'm i'm kind of propane no pun intended i like that because to be I, honest with you not i
1: do not like my last name like my name rick broaring i sound a lot of time that was actually a good one a lot of times when i say my name i sound like i have marbles in my mouth um a lot of a lot of first names just don't sound good with broaring but because it sucks as a last name but i feel like pain broaring but uh, that, that's pretty good i like it Pain think yeah. is pretty good and and like again when that kid hits like 17 you know how much he's gonna appreciate that no question or when he's or, dancing in the ballet
0: or, or, or he's gonna get picked on and go come on you gonna bring the pain today and get his ass kicked so there's yeah he, he's, he's gonna have to grow up pretty tough rick is well, the key. well
1: you well know, here's the my plan always for my kid was to send him down to like uh like john r green or one of those uh inner city schools in covington and dress him like argyle sweater vest and let him get beat up for like all of preschool and maybe first through third grade, and then move him over to like St. Pius or one of the like very suburb private schools, and let him just rough some kids up in hoops I like he's not that i 'd be like super athletic or skilled he's going to have to be a grit guy
0: yeah no it, you got to have that grit you know I love the grit guys they're my favorite kind of guys
1: yeah well, th- so then I took it a step farther, obviously we're driving down the road, and your mind starts uh, workshopping this. And then I, I don't want to name my kid after me cause I don't really like my name, but then you always think of that. Like, Oh, I was like, Oh, what if you did like pain as a middle name, Richard pain, broing. And then I just thought about what I just named my kid, Dick pain in my head. That, <laughs> yeah. You, you want to get ridiculed as, as a, a kid, have your first name or have your first and middle name be Dick pain. That's-
0: and, and 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 as you know, I've I've had this pointed out to me numerous times. Um, my name, of course, is Dick Skinner, which is always a, 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 a source of jokes. <laughs> I am bringing and, this and, up and, to and, a to the right person, I guess. And and, and and I'm okay with that. Okay, if you think that's kind of funny, okay, you're probably 18 years old. It is funny to you. Um, but I I my my father, I'm a junior, so it's like, Dad, you had to go through this. What do you what are you thinking, man? What are
1: you? Yeah. Doing it? That's that's kind of a dick move by your dad. I'm not going to lie. So he it just didn't bother him, or he was like, "My kid's going to have to suffer like I did."
0: Well, in the worst part, I had a I had a middle brother that was unfortunately stillborn, and they had picked out a name for him of Randy. I said, "Why couldn't I have been Randy? I, I'm okay with Randy, but Dick Skinner, no."
1: Yeah. Although- <laughs>
0: that's,
1: I, I didn't know your dad was also Dick Skinner.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I loved him. He's a great man. And, and uh, we were very close, but um, that was when it's like, is the older you got, you're like, dad, I'm mean, really, really. Now I will say it's a little sophomoric. Oh, you're go ahead and tell us what you mean, Dick Skinner. Okay. That's my I get you. Hi. Yeah. You're funny.
1: Yeah. But I mean, it's weak obviously. And you've heard it before, yes, um, correct.
0: but but I will say as bad as
1: Dick Payne might be, I do kind of <laughs> like RP Brewing, Like, those initials that's, that's a
0: that's a good RP Browing, and then he's yeah, he's going definitely have to, he's going to definitely have to be a lawyer. RP Browing Esquire. Yeah. Richard no Payne
1: doubt. RP is pretty good, but then as soon as the kids find out it stands for <laughs> Richard Payne, he's going to be Dick Payne in, in grade school. So you can't do that.
0: Yeah, that's a good Yeah, that's a good so, call. So
1: maybe Payne it is. I don't know. Payne Brewing, I'm in. Uh it sounds like you were in on it.
0: You're okay. I with am that? in. On it. I'm I'm good with it. Yes, okay. absolutely. Let's All right. go with
1: that. It's a strong name. There you go. Good work. I'm not planning on having kids anytime soon. I just wanted to pick out the name, I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah and I'm hoping for that for you. But uh, in yeah, case you are, that. at least you, you've got a hit start in that regard.
1: Yep. Well, I, I hear it's fun to practice, at least. So we'll, I'll, I'll tell you one way we'll that apparently
0: that. you don't have to worry about children. Go live in the NBA bubble for another few months. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. We'll, we'll see about that. Exactly. Good All point. of
1: Orlando's going to be pregnant here in the exactly. next nine months.
0: <laughs> exactly. All right, Rick. Enjoyed it, as always. Thanks, you guys, for sending those questions in. Keep them coming. I, I, I always enjoy them. And, and again get me another roadways question in two weeks. I'll have a different answer for you <laughs> for sure. All right, Rick, we'll be back next week for Rick Boring. I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the skinny podcast, the weekly book edition